Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Well, good evening, everybody. I would like to welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now blog talk radio show sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Tonight is Monday, October 16th. 2023. We're on scan number 3,291. My name is Penelope Bennis, and I am from, for a few more hours, Bellevue, Washington. And on my host team this evening is Kim Lakin from Colorado, who's also um, a NASCA member as well as a producer of this show. So we welcome you this evening. We have a uh, topic night this evening. And before I uh, discuss uh, what Topic Night entails, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about NASCA's uh, mission, um, because as you know, NASCA is all about child abuse, trauma, prevention, intervention, and recovery. We have a single purpose at NASCA. It's to address issues related to childhood sexual, uh, excuse me, childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, abbreviated CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal of offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. You can find out more about NASCA on our website, which is www.naasca.org. So we have a special topic show this evening, so please call in. Um, Those who call in um, will form a panel. and we'll describe and be critical of uh, NASCA's tools, programs, and services, call in and suggest a topic related to our mission statement. So on these episodes, we welcome um, various hosts, like myself and Kim, survivor professionals who assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our college participants. So Kim and I offer a trauma-informed perspective as survivors 
um, and will, uh, which is helpful in guiding discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality. So please call in. The number to call in is area code 646-595-2118. Again, that is area code 646-595-2118. And we will uh, welcome you into our panel for a live discussion. So, um, Kim, and I know we have Philip on the line, so thanks for calling in, Philip. Um, Philip, I'm going to unmute your line just so... Feel free to chime in as you wish. Otherwise, I'll I'll check in with you periodically to see if you have any questions. But um, Kim, thanks for being on with me this evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'll be my pleasure. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Traveling. (laughs) Traveling again. (laughs) Traveling again. Traveling again. So yeah, I'm uh, here (laughs) on the West Coast for a couple more hours, and then. I'll be live from Sarasota, Florida, which I'm very excited about since it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's raining cats and dogs here. Uh, so, that's you know, what one you thing get I know we're, there. It's, it's what <laughs> we get. That. That's why it's so, yeah, beautiful and green. It is beautiful and green out here, but right. we get a lot of rain um, for about the next nine months. So, um, yeah. Um, but, but it does. It is a gift to have to have all the greenery, and it's just it is beautiful here. If anybody um, ever wishes to venture out to the Pacific Northwest, it is absolutely a stunning place. So I'd uh, highly recommend it. Maybe maybe more towards the summer if you don't like to get wet. But anyway, um, you know, Kim, I was thinking about something, and I know um, I know that coming on and telling your story for the first time can be very very frightening. And I thought maybe we could talk about um, some of the um, experiences that we both had, have had breaking our silence and sharing our stories um, and how that's imp- impacted us and others. I'm wondering what your thoughts were on that as a topic. Unless, Philip or Kim, you have a different topic that is top of mind tonight. Oh, well, I don't necessarily have a different topic, but I don't know if, I mean, maybe Philip has something. He always comes up with good ideas, but if not, we can go to that too. We could probably do more than one, maybe. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Philip, wondering if think, Philip? you have anything, yeah, top of mind you'd like to talk about tonight? Any topics you want to um, propose or anything? Um, I don't have any to topics today, Penelope. Okay, okay. No, no problem. Well, um, so in fact, so Kim and I, I, I very vividly remember, Philip, it was several years ago. I, I don't know when the first time was exactly, Kim, when you came on to NASCA and you told your story. But I remember I was on the host team. And I remember when you shared your story, um, which is very similar to my story. Um, but I remember you coming on and um, I remember... We, we connected afterwards, um, um, which um, also, um, um, you know, not only would you, once you call in, you just have to say you want to be a member of, an, of NASCA and you're a member of the NASCA family. There's nothing else required other than, you know, a desire. But, of course, coming on to tell your story, you're automatically a member of NASCA as well. Um, anybody can be a member of NASCA. Um, there's no paperwork. There's no fees. Just like I said, 
an interest to, to be um, a part of our organization. Um, but I, I remember your, 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 um, your, te- your first testimony very vividly. And, um, and I remember mine as well. Um, and uh, so I don't know if you want to share a little bit about what it was like for you to, to, to break your silence for the first time, whether it was on the show or, or to someone else. But I'm, I'm happy to also talk about, yeah. you know, my experiences breaking the silence as well for the first time and, and speaking of the abuse, um, both privately and publicly. Yeah, I think it was probably, it, was, it might have been the second time. Because the first time I came on, I was with, my friend Sherry, and so I don't think you were around then because it was Bill. But then, it, so I think it was it might have been the first time that I, you know, came on and told it myself by myself. And um, possibly. And then, yeah, I, but I can't remember either. It's been a few years. <laughs> the years just kind of all together after a while. Exactly. So I think that um, for me, it was very empowering and healing, and I think that getting, you know, people even saying, you know, I've listened to your story on on NASCA and, you know, I can relate to you and thank you for sharing. That is a whole different type of healing too. I, you know, for me it was because it just took it up another level. It's like, okay, now I have this community of people who are at the same place as I am. So we're starting with the abuse. It's not like we're trying to figure out where abuse started and how it happened. And, you know, we all are telling our stories. And so we're putting it out there. And I think for me, it's just been very empowering. And also, and to the point that I am able to go out and teach, you know, about it. So mm-hmm. I think that if there's a good possibility, if I hadn't have come on masks the very first time with Sherry, that um, I, you know, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it myself, especially at that time, which was like over seven years ago, I think it was. So I would not have done that myself. She pushed me all the way. And, um, and then I started talking, you know, about my story and a little bit more open. And I was still a little bit scared because then it came to the point where I was kind of on my own, like Sherry and I were going to do this venture together and then all of a sudden I was just kind of doing it myself and I scary but it was empowering and then to be able to go out and educate others has been really healing as well. I think it's mm-hmm. it to me it felt like um, I felt safer on the, the radio, I think. Doing it on the radio the first time instead of like having my face on there. I think that helped oh, right. with my anxiety a little bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, so even just start, that is a starting point, I think. NASCA is a good place to start that, that process. And, you know, then you could get into more, even, you know, we even want to offer NASCA on YouTube to anybody who wants to do that. But um, but to start on the radio just kind of gives you a little bit of a, a shield. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point about, you know, being on the radio is, is, 
you know, it's verbal, um, but it's also, it's not visual, um, which I, I think that that is, um, for me, I know when I went on this Texas show, um, it was obviously, as you have as well, that was um, visual and verbal. And uh, and that's a different, it's definitely, there's, I feel like there's more exposure there for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but uh, also, the, the, yeah. So also the structure of NASCA is a little bit different because there's a panel versus just one person interviewing you. Um, like I'm just still using the Miss Texas show for, for an example, but, um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think I do believe in baby steps for me. It was a baby step process, breaking my silence. Um, and I do think that, that just the ver- the verbal, right. The audio versus the, the visual is, is a nice baby step into the public, you know, more of a, a public, um, then, you know, venue, if you will. Um, but I do believe in baby steps, and that's basically, you know, I mean, for me, it was a 47-year process because, well, 46 years. Well, I didn't start recovery until 2016 um, when I was 46 years old. And so you can count how old I am now. I mean, I've been, I've been in recovery now. I'm in my sixth year. Um, and for me, breaking the silence was, it was so frightening to even, even go to therapy for the first time um, and say the, about any of the abuse. And I wasn't able to speak of the sexual abuse at first, um, but even to, re, to recall the, the physical abuse, we had never been allowed to talk about it in the home. I mean, there was a code of silence. I mean, silence was, um, it was the golden rule in our home. So, you know, if you're imprisoned by silence um, and you have been for 46 years, I mean, even for me, just, just telling a telling my psychologist, I was referred to a psychologist. Um, he has a PhD in psychology. He's been doing psychology for 30 years. He's also an ordained Lutheran priest, which was a nice, I'm not Lutheran, but I'm Christian. And of course, NASA's not about any religious affiliation, but this is my own personal story. Um, It was nice because I am Christian. It was nice to sort of also have some of the, um, just to know that it was also founded. um, I was going to someone who um, was also aligned with the faith, uh, with Christianity. Um, But um, I was referred to, to him because my primary care physician, I, I literally, I, and I think this happens to a lot of people too, where I think you're almost summoned to break your silence because you've been carrying the secrecy for so long. It becomes such a heavy burden that there's something that just, for me, I literally collapsed. I literally just collapsed from just exhaustion. And I didn't realize how much I was carrying. So that sent me into the my primary care physician saw this, sent me to psychologist, and so that's how I started breaking my silence and even speaking of, of just the physical abuse and the emotional abuse and the verbal abuse um, for the first time, which which felt, um, it just felt very foreign. Um, but one thing I realized is the more I disclosed um, in these sessions, even though they're private, they're one-on-one, and you know you're, you're um, Give the benefit of patient um, doctor patient um, confidentiality. So 
there's a safeguard in there. It's a, it's a baby step, if you will. It's a very um, safe baby step to take um, to know that whatever you share is not going to leave the room um, without your consent. Um, but what I noticed is the more I disclosed, the better I felt. And the more I disclosed, the more I remembered. So, of course, we talk about numbing and dissociation and repressed memories. So the more I started speaking and letting it out, the better I felt, the lighter I felt, but the more, the more that came forward. And it also started to help me put a perspective on the, how extreme the abuse was because I, I know this topic and that comes up too um, in a lot of stories that I've heard testimonies where when you grow up, in a certain environment of abuse, you just think that's, I mean, I was born into it. So my abuse started when I was born. So it's what I thought was normal. And the more I started talking about it, um, the more I started realizing that what I thought was normal wasn't normal. So that also put the abuse into context for me. Um, And one of the things I was told was you minimize a lot of things. Um, So because I didn't realize they were abused. I didn't realize that, here's a trigger warning, my my father grabbing my brother and I, we were two and three years old by the hair and knocking our heads together as hard as he could twice. I didn't realize that didn't happen in every home and that wasn't just part of being disciplined as a child. I thought that was a normal, um, something, kind of punishment that everybody had experienced. I didn't realize um, how extreme the abuse was. So, um, for me, breaking my silence was in baby steps and was in, in therapy, um, but it also helped me to bring forth repressed memories, and after about a year and a half of going to therapy every single week, um, I was able to finally um, speak of the fact that I had been molested um, um, starting at around age two or three, um, two and a half, three years old. Um, and that had continued for a lot, very long time. Um, but I believe that the benefit of breaking the silence was that it gave me permission, my, my mind permission to push the, to push these things forward. Um, so that was, for me, that was one of the benefits. Um, on the flip side, um, my therapist, same therapist, I still see him um, every other week, once a week or every other week. And I've been very blessed to find someone who's trauma-informed, who's very, was a good fit for me. Um, once I disclosed the sexual abuse, um, I, that was such a painful, it was such a painful thing to acknowledge and to speak of, um, even though I was still going to therapy, I felt like I needed more support. I felt like the grief, because we have, of course, once you speak of these things for the first time, you start going through the grieving process as well, which is important. We never, a lot of us have never had an opportunity to grieve what happened to us. But I, I was so alone in my grief that I didn't, I, I could barely breathe. Um, and I was looking for a support group. And that's how I found NASCA. I found online because there was no support group for an adult survivor of child abuse who just remembers that she was molested starting at the age of two and a half or three years old in the home. There was nowhere for me to go to find support group locally in person. So I found NASCA. And, um, and that's when I told my story um, on NASCA. Um, and I was really nervous to tell my story. I don't know what, why I just, I just had this 
there was some force that was like, you're going to go on, you're going to tell it. Um, and, uh, and I was shaking in my boots. I mean, I, I came on the show. I'd never been involved in NASCA. I'd never even been on the panel on a show. Um, I just saw they had shows and they had special guests and I people could tell their story. But for me, breaking the silence outside of the doctor's office on NASCA was so it was life-changing for me um, because one thing, I, I didn't realize a couple things. Going into the show, I was shaking. I mean, I was literally shaking, and I thought, I'm going to go on the show. It's going to be archived. It's going to be out there. I'm going to go tell anyone in the world who wants to listen to the archive or anybody in the world that wants to stream the show live what happened to me. I'm like, how can I show my face the next day on this planet? Like, I'm just going to talk about the most, shameful thing um, that's ever happened to me. So I really went in just, I don't, again, there was just something that was driving me to do it, but I really had this mindset. And um, a couple things that, that, that came out of doing the show. Number one, I didn't realize um, the host and the panel members calling in would also be um, adult survivors of child abuse, and they were all adult survivors of sexual child abuse. So as I'm telling my story, what I didn't expect and what I was met with was this understanding. People were saying that, that they could totally relate to what I was saying, that they like walked in my shoes, like very similar shoes, that all the emotions, like everything that I, like I would, I had been met for the first time with, with this um, level of understanding that I, I wasn't expecting to get and that I wasn't getting in, in the doctor's office. Um, and for the first time, I didn't feel alone. I felt like I had found a home. Um, and I, I now understand why because I felt that I'd arrived and I could actually say these things that I felt so ashamed to speak of um, in a way where um, I didn't feel any shame anymore. Um, and once that 90-minute show concluded, um, I woke up the next morning with a smile on my face and I was proud of myself, but I also realized, realized it was the first time that I could walk out into the world and hold my head high like I wasn't hiding these awful secrets. And I could fully emerge as myself. Um, and so um, it wasn't that I couldn't show my face for the first time. It was that I actually could show my face for the first time. So I know it's a long-winded um, sort of story of, of me sharing uh, and breaking my silence. But um, um, for me, that, that, yeah, that, the family, the support, um, not feeling alone, um, and really sh shedding the shame all came from um, taking these baby steps and then taking a huge leap into, into talking about and breaking the silence about what had happened to me. So, um, sorry, Kim. Yeah. Oh, no, don't be sorry. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think that's probably, from people that I hear, I think that is probably one of the main things is just that kind of camaraderie of, oh, they've been through this too. And, 
you know, I knew that other people had gone through things that I had gone through, but there's, I'd never been, like you said, in the presence of people that are just truly understanding. They can really, you know, sympathize, empathize with you if they've been through it. So I love that. Exactly. Is it Bill? Is it Bill and Carol? Were they on? <laughs> I, I think that's what was on when I just came on. <laughs> oh, no, he wasn't? No, you know, it was, I think it was Charlie, Charlie Stecker was hosting at the time. I can't remember who the host was, but Darlene was on. A gentleman named Bob was on. Mm-hmm. Johnny Rock um, was on. Um, oh, it was um, Joe Kalk. Um, she was on. Um, but yeah, so it was it was very much, um, you know. I anyway, it was yeah. different different set of players back then, but it was very very um, supportive. <clears throat> Well, that's um, always good to hear. I mean, um, and that's what we want. We want people to feel like they're supported and be able to get feeling of I'm not alone. You know, I thought possibly I could have been alone, you know, because I don't hear that story very often. And we kept it secret for so long. Right. Exactly. And and I don't know about, you know, well, you, I remember you had, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you had disclosed to your mother some of the, you know, maltreatment that you were being subjected to growing up, her response was, well, that's just what happens to girls. Like, this is And normal. I don't know if that was her exact words, but I remember that was yeah. what I, she was saying to me, basically. Yeah. You know, there wasn't the, oh, my gosh, you know, we're going to make sure that you get the help you need. As a matter of fact, it was the complete opposite. It was, oh, we better get him the help that he needs. And then that was cut short because he was going to possibly get in trouble. And so they pulled away from counseling. So, yeah, right. I mean, it was so hidden just like you. Right. It was so normal to us at the time. We couldn't have really said anything different and I think a lot of times I think I've mentioned this before that I just I kind of feel like people who continue on these patterns have not ever necessarily seen truly that there's a different way to live you know they're they're just stuck in those patterns and so I mean I know I've mentioned that I I went to church yeah I was sent to church on the school bus and that's what I think in my mind, that's what I feel like um, helped me cope through all of that. Right. And, um, yeah, so I felt like God, God came in right when he, he knew I needed him. So. Yes. <laughs> I <was>. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it is a, a good I think bonding experience with others to know that you can talk to them. And I know, like you said, I'm not trying to put things in people's mouths, but Philip has mentioned that too, just being on. You'd like to be on here with us, right, Philip? And just know that we're all kind of dealing with the same thing. We're yes. all in different places. But, yeah, we're all kind of dealing with it. Did you want to say anything? 
you have any comments? The topic, the topic was opening up for the first time about your abuse, right? Yeah. Well, the first time I opened up about it was at a men's class at church a few years ago. And then after that, I can't remember the next time I opened up after that. Did you still so the church? What was that? I just said, did you feel supported when you opened up? Did you feel like you were getting what you needed once you did that? Um, not as much as here, but I really feel it was beneficial when I did it at the church. Yeah, good. Awesome. Now, so that in a group, a group, Philip, a group of of people that you trusted. Did you feel like that you had some trust there? Um, in that group, did yes, you feel I did. safe? I did. I had. Yeah. I felt a lot of safety and a lot of trust. That's wonderful because I think that's a really important part, obviously, of sharing your story is to do it with a person or a group of people where you feel safe with them. Um, I kind of found that that's important for everything in life that's productive because it's kind of hard to do anything in life without having a safe group. That's true. Very true. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think when disclosing, you know, child abuse and sexual child abuse as an adult, even though we're adults, I think it's really, I mean, I personally feel it's very important to feel that you are in a safe place with someone that you can trust. Um, and I think that that helps with the disclosure. And I think that actually helps espouse um, the truth. To bring out, I think it helps to bring out the truth. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to, for me personally, I don't know if you feel the same way, Kim and Philip, but I don't think I could have shared um, my abuse. Um, even with a counselor, I think we have to just go with our intuition. But I, this, I, I trusted him. I totally trusted him. It would, took time, I mean, I got to know him over time. But it was a level of trust and respect, and I felt safe. Um, and I think that's very important because you're making yourself very vulnerable. Um, and I think we know. I think we know because we have this skill that we develop as children. Um, unfortunately, when we're when we're abused, I think we were, we're able to know when something is safe and something is not safe. I call it my spidey sense, but I have a very keen intuition. And I know even around people where I, I know I feel either comfortable or I feel very uncomfortable. Um, but I would say, you know, use that um, in your disclosure. You know, you know, you know who you feel safe around and you know who you maybe feel like if you have to hold back, um, maybe if you don't feel 100% comfortable. But I think it's very important to, to be in a safe place. Uh, so, yeah, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, um, what made you decide to share about your abuse? Well, I shared because you mean with my doctor, or with pu- the public. The first time that you shared it, what made you decide to open it for the first time? You know, Philip, I think I just, I just. I got to a point 
where I just knew that if I didn't share it, um, that I was making a choice. I was making a choice either to care for myself um, because it's part of self-care. I was at a point where my, my body was falling apart. I was in pain. I was exhausted. So I think I knew, you know, you're either going to unload some of this or you're going to be in um, a very dark place, you know. Um, So my decision was basically I want to have a better life. I want to um, have a more content life. I need to – I decided because I I needed to, to make a change in the way I had been living my life. And living my life, I was, I think when you carry a lot of secrets inside, in my own experience, um, I, I feel like they just, for me, it was just like toxic, a toxic load. And so my decision was, well, it was an acknowledgement that I was carrying a toxic load. Um, and then it was my decision to well, I'm either going to continue to carry it, and that's going to not going to end well for me. Um, so it was really in in the spirit of self care to just share, and I just it was I was, but you know, to get to, I got to a point there where, I, like I told you, so if I was 46 years old, I've been carrying it for so long that it was very heavy to carry. I mean, my whole body hurt. I could barely walk. I was crawling um, because emotional pain can, can manifest itself as physical pain. So my body was screaming to me like, girl, you've got to do something. Um, this is not working for you anymore. Does that make sense, Philip? Yes. I think that emotional pain is, all, is almost mostly a physical pain, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Wait, so if you have an intuition with people, what do you what's your intuition with me? With you? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I have a smile on my face. So there you go. My Thanks intuition with you is your, Yeah, you're a very you're a very kind, gentle, thoughtful person, wonderful person. Yeah. I just smile. So, yep. I think sometimes I can be a bit of a narcissist. Have you studied that? Have you been studying kind of what that entails? Well, there's two types of narcissists. So far, I've heard about two types of narcissists. And one is, like, one person that likes the limelight, and that's me, I guess. And the other type of narcissist is kind of like, I don't mean to throw shade or anything, but kind of like my parents were, kind of like, um, always like, I don't know, well, how would you describe it, Kim, the second type? Would would you agree with my first definition of narcissist? Kind of an introvert, maybe, instead of an extrovert? Is it more of that? Like you're... I'm an extrovert. you're You're more the extrovert, yeah. And I'm probably yeah. more the introvert. Uh, but I think the reason why I asked you if you've been kind of researching it is because 
I've been told by other counselors before, and I can't, you know, not that I'm giving you advice, but <laughs> that if you are researching it, if you are thinking, I wonder if I'm a narcissist, you are not a narcissist because they don't have that compassion. They can't. They can't put themselves in the in the place of somebody else and say, "Oh, I have compassion for them." And and just like Penelope said, we see that in you on the show. We don't, you know, we don't know you personally and every day, but we see in in you that you are truthful and you are not here to just bullshit us and you know tell us what we want to hear. We want to know about you. And you ask other questions, you know, other people questions on the show. So. Um, I don't, my professional opinion, which isn't professional, um, <laughs> is I don't think you are. I don't think you're a narcissist. Because usually they okay, yeah, thank you. have that compassion. I, I've always tried to be compassionate because I didn't want to leave the impression with somebody that I left by my parents. I guess if I only had a goal in life, it'd be not to be like my parents. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's, a good goal, you know? Yeah. A really good goal. <laughs> exactly. That's that's basically breaking the cycle right there. You know? I think that can be So in a little while, I might have to cut out for like 15 or 20 minutes because I'll be going to the laundromat with my mom. But then I'll be able to tell no, you back no once I get there. No problem. No problem. We always enjoy whatever time you'll give us, Philip. Thanks, Philip. Yeah. I actually watched. I mean, um, I. Go ahead. Oh no! Go on, go on. I don't know. I don't really know what I was going to say. So you sound like you had a real question <laughs> or a real. <laughs> well, sorry. Okay. This really interesting, um, really interesting YouTube clip on. Um, Abandonment um, by um, Dr. Gabor Mate. He's pretty well known. He's done a lot of um, work um, with individuals um, who have, he's a psychiatrist, I believe, or a medical psychiatrist, um, who have experienced um, childhood trauma. And he was basically saying, you know, abandonment as a child is, is what um, is the inception um, of narcissistic tendencies. Because basically, narcissists, narcissists aren't born, they're made. And it's not necessarily like a, a labeling, but more about, you know, when a child's abandoned, you know, a baby's abandoned, you know, they just cry louder to get the attention upon them. So really, attention seekers um, or narcissists, you know, those that are really um, self-focused, a lot of the times that the inception of that is, is abandonment, you know, through neglect and child abuse from a very, very early age and, um, or some trauma that happened in very early childhood. And uh, I'm not excusing it. I mean, I think we all, you know, can become enlightened about our own patterns and behaviors and change. Um, but I, I thought that was very interesting. And I would say for sure I was very narcissistic. And I still probably have some tendencies because, I always wanted to be seen because I had been abandoned. I always wanted to be seen. I wanted someone to acknowledge me, um, someone to, to put some value on me because I was so constantly denigrated verbally and 
beaten and, and just told my voice didn't matter. And so um, I don't think, you know, I don't really believe in labels. I believe more in patterns. But I do think, you know, sometimes peeling back the onion and asking, you know, why and looking at looking at cause, cause and effect to me is very interesting. And, um, and I like to become aware of these things because then I can assess my own, my own behavior. But, but I think for children, especially children that are abused, um, there's a lot, most of the time they're feeling strong feelings of abandonment that, that, that are enduring. Um, and for me, um, not feeling loved, you know, not feeling worthy. Um, I wanted to be seen, so, and I, you know, I wanted to be, I want to be attention on me, um, so I could somehow, um, you know, fill that void. Of course, it never happened, but um, it's hard to fill that void when you're living in an abusive home and nothing changes. But um, anyway, I just wanted to mention that because the, narc- the whole narcissism topic came up. I have another quick yeah. little topic thing. Um, uh-huh. If, do you think that um, – where do you think that being having a successful career, like maybe like being a first responder, I always thought that a, a career like that um, kind of belonged to somebody who wasn't abused because then they would have like the mental capacity to deal with it, to be able to handle that kind of career. Do you think that's like any, a factor or anything? Well, I can answer that. I mean, I think no. I think I. I think that. Um, I mean, I for me, I was I wasn't like a first responder, but I was in careers where I was putting out fires all the time, like, you know, figuratively, not literally. I thrived on a crisis, you know, um, because. My norm was the fight or flight. You know, I I was born in crisis. You know, I was born in a house full of crises. I mean, it was chaotic. And so I'm not necessarily sure that first responders are all, you know, that all um I, I think it's interesting. I, I I don't I don't know, I've never done an analysis, but I don't think that it would only be um those who had, had um healthy adjusted, you know, childhoods growing up. I feel like, you know, if you're used to living in chaos and putting out like literal, I mean, figurative fires, <coughs> you know, responding to crises is probably something that feels very familiar. I don't know, Kim and Philip, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but those are my thoughts. Kim, do you have any thoughts yeah, on I, that? Well, I was just thinking that you have, you would have more compassion if you've gone through it. And, you know, I think a lot of times, because we know the average age is like between 45 and 55 of of telling your story, um, we are trying to live in that perfect image, you know, because we changed our our trajectory of the, the family. And so I know I was just determined to not do what my parents did. I, that was kind of where my mindset was. So um, I, I don't know. What, I think I just went off again. But um, <laughs> I I don't think that you have to be healed. I think it would 
probably be a little more helpful at times, but I think the compassion is going to be there more so maybe than if you haven't walked in somebody's shoes like that. And so maybe you would be able to walk with them in a different way. I mean, I don't know about you just talking, you know, you and Penelope and, and Philip, if talking to counselors and therapists and stuff, I can tell the difference when I'm talking to certain counselors on whether they have kind of walked through it in any capacity, not, not necessarily just them, but maybe some, a family member. And I think I can tell because I don't feel that compassion as much. I get a little bit more pushback of, oh, well, why aren't you seeing their side of the story? And so when I hear that, it makes me think they are just the whole clinical, technical aspect of this. And, and they had a passion probably at, at some point to go into that field. But um, back to your question, I think, I think people would be better at it, better at helping other people be into this because I feel like I am. That answer question. <laughs> the long way around. Um, yeah, okay. I think that's a great point. I'm sorry. Go on, Philip. I uh, just said okay. Well, Kim, I, yeah, I agree. I think there is a lot of compassion there. I, agree. I totally agree. First response. I, I think there's a, there is compassion, a level of compassion, and empathy. You know, I considerable empathy. Um, so, yeah. and I know I had one therapist that I I really really like, and I think one thing that I can connect with, you know, when I'm in a therapy office or whatever, is um, is them being a little bit open with me too. You know, that helps me feel a little bit more comfortable. So one of my favorite therapists, and um, he was actually over at seminary that I was going to, and so it was a, they were students. I went to the Denver Seminary for quite a while for counseling, but um, because they were students, it was like every 12 weeks you would get a new student. And, um, and I wanted to try and find somebody that I could see more prominently. That hasn't really happened. <laughs> but I, but um, I, he had already been in counseling for many, many years. He was just going back for his master's, and he would share with me that his wife has a lot of chronic pain, and so he could really, you know, empathize with me in that way of how he can be there and, for his wife and support his wife in ways that, are helpful to her and not just expecting her to do everything that he does, you know, the exact same things that he does because it's supposed to be a 50-50 relationship. So that empathy was there more so with him than I've ever felt with anybody else. I get, you know, I've connected with other people, think that some of the aspects, and, and his mom was abused, um, physically abused and, and emotionally abused by his dad. And so there was just that whole connection, and um, I would love to connect with him again because 
I want that. And even though I feel really comfortable with the equine lady that I go see, um, I feel like at times there isn't that experience there. And um, and not to put it, she's a person, and I, I still like to go see her, but there's kind of, I'm starting to pick up on certain words and stuff. So I don't know. Have you guys ever kind of noticed that with people, certain people? Have you saw us? I'm sorry, what was that? Do you think you can kind of tell if um, somebody who you're connecting with has possibly been through something that you're going through or that you've been through because of this intense connection? I guess is kind of the question. Um, I kind of have an intuition about it. Kind of, sort of have an intuition about it. Like, I can, sometimes I can tell by appearance. I know it's not good to, like, judge a book by its cover, but sometimes I can judge by appearance. Well, and then also, I think, so let's, let's talk about appearance, because that is something that was ingrained in me that was important, the appearance of things. And then I married a man, too, that was all about the appearance of things. And so, to me, that doesn't, I mean, that's, that's part, I, I want a little bit more depth in it. I don't want it to just be about what it appears to be. So, that's why I, I said, I think, when I hear a little bit of even, like, the, the therapist story, if they share that with me, I know that I have that connection. So, that's what I like about it. So far, I've only had one therapist. Go ahead. So far, I've only had one therapist, and it's my first therapist. And it's just a regular mental health therapist from the county. And you don't see her anymore? I still see him. Oh, you do? What? I, I'm going to see him later this month over the phone. Nice. And you've had that connection. Does he share it with you a little bit? I mean, I know they're not supposed to a lot, but. <laughs> um, I kind of an iffy connection because I was held on for 5150s, so I don't know if they're going to, like, take me away and lock me up, so it's kind of a scary connection that I have with him. I didn't quite understand that. But <laughs> it's a scary connection because. Because I was held on for. 5150s, so it's kind of like, I don't know if they're going to take me out of my comfort zone and take me, you know. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that's a little scary. But, well, I don't know. What do you have to say? What do you think? (laughs) Well, I feel like, you know, I go back and forth. I mean, first of all, I'm with the same therapist, um, that I've been with, um, I was seeing actually two at the, in the beginning, and the first one I just, there was something there that I just didn't feel 100% comfortable with, so, um, and I think she actually, I think she did have some similar experiences, 
Um, but I sometimes I felt like she was really judging me um, and sometimes didn't really believe me. Um, maybe because she was still having a hard time believing her own story. So um, I've kind of, I, I, I didn't have a good experience with that. And I just, I go back to more about a good fit. Um, and I guess I just feel too like one person can't be everything, you know, um, in all the fundamental things um, that I've, I've gotten out of, you know, being in, in um, talk therapy, um, all those parameters are met for me. And when it comes to truly walking in my own shoes, I feel like, you know, that I get from NASCA. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not one, I don't know, that makes sense. Um, I haven't been able to find it all in one person. How's that? Wait, what yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Um So, as far as my therapist goes, um, I've seen him like five, five or six times, and most of the times he just listens to my problems. And like he, he gave me a grounding technique to try, a sensory grounding technique to try. I like tips. Do you feel that's for sure? <laughs> do you feel it's helpful? The exercises do you do them? Yes, I I did them. I've started practicing them a little bit, and they're definitely helpful. Well, that's good. I was going to say I I also I agree with you kind of too that I don't think there is that you can get it all in one person, and um, because I think it, you need to, or if you could get it from one person, it would probably be because you're seeing them every day. I mean, you're really connecting in that way. You're, you're there all the time. But um, I, lost my... <laughs> I lost the train of thought. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's individual and we all, you know, some, some things are hard mm-hmm. to put into words because a lot of the communication is nonverbal too when you meet with someone and it's just, it's, I think all, everything, um, body language and eye contact and tone and so. Um, but again, I just get back to the, to me, the biggest, the biggest thing is trust. Like, so the person you see, if you feel like you can trust them, you know, I think that that's, that's the most, for me, that's the most important thing is just trust because that if I can trust them, then I can actually, um, dig into the things that I need to address, um, and not be afraid to. There's, it's, it's, um, the openness um, is really important. Yeah, uh-huh. and then I think that trust is really important on the show and, like, in your neighborhood, too. And, like, with your neighbors. Like, I trust my neighbors pretty much, and I trust the people on the show. On this, on this show. Well, that's awesome. 
yeah, hopefully the show is a place where people feel safe. That's our goal, right, Kim? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we want people to come on and get comfortable. And I think it would be neat just to have people that, you know, call in periodically to just check it out and then, you know, they stay. So, and I, I said it won't happen for sure, but, um, yeah, I mean, we are trying to be Right. This is safe place. <laughs> but we covered a lot tonight, oh. I feel. Yeah. Good Already. <laughs> yeah, thanks mm-hmm. so much for being on. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have Are anything else? Show? Any other topics? Go. No. Because no. I'm going to the laundry right now. Oh, yeah. I know it's laundry night. It's laundry night. Do you do all your laundry as the laundry mat, or is it just for, like, are you doing big things or something? Um, I do my laundry at the laundry mat. Oh, you do? You do all yours? Yeah. You don't have one Which Which is pretty good, because it's the same laundry mat that my mentor goes to. Then it's right across the meeting hall that I go to for my NA meetings on Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. How's so your... It looks like I'll be... Uh, what? How's my what? How's your phone situation going? Are you still using your mom? I got a new phone, but it's a government phone, so it's kind of glitchy. It was free. Oh, is it? Kind <laughs> uh, of spotty with the service? Well, it's spotty with the touch screen. And it. then it's spotty with the service when we go over the hill through the pass. But at least you can connect you to people work now, out, right? Yeah, actually, tomorrow is my first day. I'm going to start tomorrow for a couple hours, get trained, oh. and then Friday, and then, um, I don't know, next week I'll go to Wednesday, Friday, because that will pretty much be my schedule, Wednesday and Friday. But, um, yeah, so I'm excited to go. I Well, my son got married yesterday. That was... <laughs> But we were, I was leading up to the last couple of weeks of trying to get that all done, and it was really fun for them. I'm, I know that they they looked like they were very happy, and they looked so in love, and and they were off to Ireland or no to Iceland. They left right from the place, so it was it was interesting because it was a shorter or a morning wedding, and it was really short. I never I don't think I've ever gone to a morning wedding. But um, it seems like things just had to happen real quick, and then they were gone. So, which happens anyway at any wedding. But um, so I haven't been much good today. I've just been kind of wandering around, <laughs> thinking about things that I should be doing and not doing them. But um, thanks for asking. Yeah, I'll let you know after I go to work. 
I'm sure I'm gonna like it. I gotta go. I'm taking off for for leaving. Okay. Okay. Have a good night. Thanks, Thanks for the show. Yeah, thank you for contributing. Right. Well, good. Well, congratulations yeah. to the groom. You're yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah. He looks really, really happy. And I'm so glad that we can celebrate him. Well, wonderful. And I should hope so. That's the way it should be, right? Exactly. Yeah. My last one, my baby. My baby's married now. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I can't oh. wait for that. <laughs> yeah, it is. But I still struggle. I mean, you had mentioned earlier that um, sometimes you still like you you do these narcissistic tendencies, and I think, um, what was it that somebody said to me one time? They said, you're not, you're not narcissist. You're just trying to get somebody to recognize your reality on the earth. And I went, oh, that makes sense. I mean, Acknowledge your existence, that you do have a, a voice and you have a thought process and it's okay to say what you are thinking. And um, and I know I've shared many times too, but that's where I have been trying to do that. And then I have my daughters on the other end thinking that I'm not saying I'm going to just take time for myself. If I don't want to babysit, I'm going to, you know, so they're saying how I'm being you know, very self-centered and that they've never seen that out of me, so it's a whole different, you know, you weren't put on this earth just to serve them. <laughs> Sorry. Apparently I was, so no, yeah, no, I, no. I was. <laughs> yeah, apparently no, that was like, <laughs> I'm saying that in a joking way because I get that. Yeah, feeling. no, I know. I know you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I was just sitting by the phone waiting for your next request here. <laughs> yeah, so I can, yeah, um, waiting for you to ask me to babysit so that I can see my grandkids because uh, the only time I see them, you don't ask me to do things. But, um, and then I felt really, one of the things that was really hard, and I find this happening over and over again, so I think it is something that I need to, to work on and fix, but... Um, my daughters came in to the dressing room when I was getting ready, and I asked them, you know, to help me with my dress because I couldn't do it myself. And they got mad at me because I said something, and they just left. And I didn't have anybody to help me with my dress. So I was asking, you know, the officiant that walked in to go to the bathroom to help me. And so I, I – and at that point, I felt really, really alone. I felt like, you know, I, I wasn't even – it wasn't like I was saying anything that I thought was derogatory. It was just what I was feeling like that second. And it was, um, you know, and so it shouldn't have been that big, it shouldn't have been that big a deal. And, and I feel like every time I ask them to help me, it's always about me helping them. Cause if I ask them to help me, I'm asking for too much. And, um, and it happens, you know, just about every single time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, that's 
part of me dealing with. That's not the reality. The reality, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. (laughs) And um, I just wanted to know about him. All about my son, and it felt like there were little things that kept popping up that that they kind of hold against me, and it continues to be that. And they're gonna hold it against me. I'm so sorry. That just sucks. I get a lot of conflicting advice. <laughs> True, you know, it's like I have because, and like you said earlier, when we were talking about the therapist, I I feel like, you know, some will say to me, "You need to just let this go. You need to understand that." And a couple of people have actually said this to me in the last couple of weeks. You need to understand that your daughters have their own reality and that if they are pissed off at you for something that you did when you were growing up, that you have that same thought about your parents. And I went, I don't, I don't feel that's the same. You know, in my mind, I don't know why I, I struggle with that so much. I mean, I, I want to admit if I do things wrong, the problem that I found, though, is the history of, saying what I've done wrong, and then everybody taking that and running with it. Nobody else does anything that they do wrong. And so, um, you know, I'm the one that's always taking that blame and putting that on myself. I, I think I mentioned that too in the first place. So putting my, but I think, you know, kind of gaslighting myself at times. Yeah. But, you know, the difference is, is that from you and your parents is that you're working on it. You're aware of it. You know, you're working on it. I think that's the difference. I think you know, the, the biggest a gift to our own our children is just our own humility, our humility and our willingness to address these things, you know. And it may not be on their, you know, as, I don't know. Per, it's, it's not perfect. It's very messy. Um, but it is something that I think needs to be acknowledged, you know, um, and that's why, for me, you know, a lot of the anger and blame is hard, too, because I'm trying, you know. It's not like I'm not trying, and right. I, I'm willfully right. ignorant. And you're trying. So, yeah. um, right. And that's, that's what I don't feel like. I was getting that great for that. It's just the trying part. And it would be easier to be more humble, probably, if I got a little bit of grace in other areas, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we all just want to be loved and felt like we're worthy of love. <laughs> yep, that's absolutely and right. That's it. When you've been abused your whole life, you know, that it messes with yep. your mind quite a bit. <laughs> it does. That's all I know. It does. <laughs> And we didn't choose our parents, but we did choose our children, you know. We chose to have our children. It'd be nice if they if they loved us and liked us and didn't criticize <laughs> us, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'm trying to have a little bit of empathy. They right. don't know what I've gone through and you know, holding things against me for years is not gonna help at all in our relationship. It's not gonna get us anywhere. No. So, <laughs> yeah really doesn't. Excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) You keep doing the shows and you keep doing what you're doing, you know? 
That was my cat. Yes. Oh, was yes, it? Good, good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. are you taking us from there? Do you have the carriers out already? Not yet. I'm going to do that the last Ready minute because they, they know. They know. <laughs> no. Yeah. They'll hide they know. <laughs> Run Yeah. She enjoys the shows. She enjoys the voices. And she always comes and lays next to me and, and like, oh, she, she? she's. Oh, yeah, she's always here for the whole show. She's so sweet. She could probably rattle off and ask a mission statement if she spoke. <laughs> well, I hope we had some people streaming in at least, you know, to listen to, you know, some of the, you know, discussion we had about, um, you know, breaking the silence and some of the um, our sharing our stories about, how we broke our silence and why we broke our silence and um, some of the good things that came out of breaking it and, and also finding, you know, the right therapist. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we had some listeners and that there were some um, nuggets that people were able to take away from our talk tonight. Oh. But, um, Always nice to have Phil up on and... It was great to have Philip on. Yeah, he always has good input and good questions. My Absolutely. mind is always good. He's good at it. He is. He is. I do appreciate him. So, well, join us. <laughs> Who's ever listening? Join us another night. Yeah. And I would say if we don't have anybody else call in, I think we're just gonna gonna put it close to the show. I think it's Sounds been a good, good show. If you're okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, it's fine with me. Yeah. It's been a good She's a good fine. show. And it does help when people call in. Um because we can field other questions other than what's the top of our minds. And there's so many different aspects of recovery. Um, and aspects of, oh, we've got Philip again. Going to be back. Good. Philip, are you back? Yes. Great. Yes, I'm back. Hey. <laughs> Great. Are you heading home? What's that? Are you done with your laundry already? I can't hear you that well. Oh, that's okay. I I was just asking if you were done. You're heading home already. No, I have five minutes. Heading and then there. We'll be there for like two hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. We do the laundry, oh. <laughs> and then we'll be heading back at like eight. Okay. Well, thanks for being on with us. Yeah. Thank you, Philip. And there's still time. Someone wants to call in, area code 646-595-2118. Any more questions or topics for discussion this evening? We're open. Um, I'm... Not seeing anybody else call in. I'm not sure uh, 
what other ground we can cover right now. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not very talkative. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay. Come up with yeah. You know, Phyllis, you have it any was more? A good topic, it was a good topic. Yeah. Phyllis, yeah, do you have any more questions? Any more questions? No. Anything else you'd like to answer? No? Not nah, my head. Okay. Okay. It doesn't look like we're getting any more callers calling in. I would like to say, please, if you are someone who is uh, has a story to share, um, I would encourage you to um, come on to the NASCA website, www.naasda.org, and there, our current show schedule is the first thing, one of the first things you see on the home screen, and contact information, and can maybe you want to tell people right now how they can um, get in contact um, to get scheduled for coming on the show and telling their story. Yeah, sure. Um, all you have to do is just send me a quick email telling me that you're ready to set a date, and I will send you out a, another email that says all the information that we need for the show, and then um, we'll set a date. Usually I send out a few different – I'll just send a couple different dates to choose from, and if those don't work, then we'll choose a couple other different dates. So. It's really easy, and I want to, you know, be able to work with people. There's, we can do three nights a week. We have guest spots three nights a week, and that's on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So that's usually what we're scheduling for. The Tuesday and Thursday shows are usually survivor professionals. So they are, you know, survivors who have very good topics to talk about and, and things to, you know, to share with our listeners. So. And um, a lot of them are doing doing work around this, this arena, and so they've got some good information. So, and I know you, a lot of people probably have heard our our Thursday and Tuesday shows, and um, but you and you can call in on those too and talk to the survivor professionals and give your opinion. So yeah, I am available. I just kind of took over that. That job of scheduling the cast and the host. So Which is a big job. Big job. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. And also, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and also, um, you know, I still want to be able to do YouTube at times too. So if anybody is interested, and I've the other hosts on different nights, if we get it scheduled maybe in advance, then I you know, won't schedule a class or anything on that night. And I'd be happy to do that. So I think that if you are willing or wanting to tell your story and you want it to also be not only audio, like we were talking about earlier, but but video too, then I'm happy to set that up as well. I think that's a good, great. That's a good avenue for us to go whenever people want to. If they don't want to be on, I agree. Love that makes sense because we just talked about how it's kind of nice to to tell your story the first time and hide behind, you know, not everybody seeing you. They can just hear you. So we definitely right. understand yeah. that as well. Absolutely. And we're all we're all survivors ourselves. 
so we can, you know, empathize. And that was kind of what we were talking about earlier was, you know, how we are able to, to empathize a little bit better with people. And uh, so the question that came up initially from, from Philip was, um, how, what was the question? <laughs> what was that initial question? You remember the exact question? How did you first decide to tell your story? Or why did you first decide it, or who did right. you, why did yeah. yeah. How, why yeah. and how? Yeah. So, I think yeah. that, was really good. But that was a really good question. We appreciate you doing Coming great, up with it was that a great question. <laughs> it was a great question. Yeah. Great provocative one. That really had me think. Yeah. Well, Philip, I think we're going to let you get to that laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're out of out of words. I don't know. <laughs> we're out of words. Um, but please visit our website at www.nasca.org. Um, current show schedule, our archive shows, we have Zoom recovery meetings three days a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. They're at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Those are done via Zoom, and the information's on our website as well. Our website has so much information, um, anything and everything you would ever want or need to know. It is one stop. It's a one-stop place for resources on recovery from uh, for adult survivors um, um, with a focus on trauma prevention, intervention, recovery. Um, NASCA is a worldwide organization, so we have resources and we have a calendar um, that dates uh, uh, events going on around the world. Um, so please, again, visit our website um, and it will be relevant to where you live, whether you live in uh, the United States, um, in, uh, anywhere, um, or in Europe. Um, or in Australia, so we've got a presence all over the globe. We also um, are a 501c3 a nonprofit organization, and we are self-sustaining by our members. So um, there is a donate button on the bottom of the front page via PayPal. Even a few dollars helps. Um, our overhead is not high, but we we do appreciate any amount of money that anybody is uh, wishes to donate. So we do ask um, for your donations, um, being that we are completely self-supporting. So I, I wish to thank Philip for calling in. It's always great to hear your voice, Philip, and to, to have discussions with you. We so appreciate you, and um, I'm just so happy um, that you're part of our NASCA family. And Kim, I just wish to thank you um, for being on my host team tonight, and congratulations, Mother of the Groom. Um, we've got... Uh, had a very busy weekend. Um, so um, I just want to thank you again for coming on with me. Um, and for all of you out there, uh, as I always close the show, um, I want to remind um, everyone out there in the world that there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, please take action, say something, do something. It's our moral responsibility to keep our children safe. So thank you all. Thank you all. And good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.
Radio.